Well, if you were visiting with us last week, then I commend you for coming back after that air conditioning fiasco that we had. Thank you for giving a second chance. We are glad to have visitors with us this morning, and we just want to especially welcome you to Redeemer Church. So thankful that you can be with us. Uh, we'd love to connect with you more, walk with you, serve you, pray with you, and just come alongside you as the Lord and seek what he is, uh, how he's leading you in your life. Um, and uh, we're just thankful, thankful to be together, uh, thankful for you fathers in the room. Again, happy Father's Day to you, and, and what, a, what a privilege and joy it is to reflect the fatherhood of God in our families. Um, it's such a joy. So with all that said, I want to, uh, us to open up the Word this morning. And um, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the name Ken Miles. Ken Miles. Anyone know who that is? You may, you may know once I tell you a little, bit of, a little bit about him. He was a race car driver in the 1960s, and he's a little rough around the edges, or very rough around the edges. Uh, but at this time, the Ford Motor Car Company realized that their sales were dropping. People didn't want a Ford anymore. That was their dad's car. They didn't want a Ford. And so Ford decided that what they needed to do was create a sports car and, and, and do something snazzy and exciting. So, so they got the, the best sports car maker in the business to, to create a sports car, and the plan was that they were going to put this sports car into a race in France known as Le Mans, a 24-hour race, an endurance race. And they were going to put this Ford sports car up against Ferrari and try to beat Ferrari at their own game. And Ken Miles was the best race car driver around, and they knew if they were going to do this, they needed Ken behind the wheel. And so Ken and the car maker, Carol Shelby, worked together on perfecting this car and, and, and working for several years toward this goal of, of racing at Le Mans and winning this race. And after several years of trying in 1966, finally they did it. They, they made a car that was faster and better and stronger than a Ferrari. And Ken raced this car, and you know what? He wasn't just winning. He was winning by a mile. He was, he was way in front of every other car in the race, and he was on his way to victory. Now, the Ford automakers, they didn't like Ken. They, they, again, he was rough around the edges. He was, he, for, for their sports car, he was not the image that they wanted behind the wheel. And so as he's coming around for this final few laps, and he's going to win this 24-hour race, they ask him to slow down so that the other Ford cars could come behind him and come catch up to him, and that the three Ford cars in the race could cross the finish line at the same time for a photo op for Ford, just, just three at once. And so Ken agreed to this. And he slowed down, let the other cars catch up, and they crossed together. But you know what happened in that moment? When they crossed together, Ken didn't cross first. Someone else crossed in front of him. You know what? They gave that guy the win. They gave that, that guy the victory. He got the credit. He stood on the podium. He got the pictures. He got the glory. Man, when you hear that, don't, don't you just boil like... You just hate hearing that. It's like, man, that is not fair. 
That is not right. Ken deserved the credit. Ken deserved the glory. And we hate hearing stories like that. And yet we need to recognize that we are guilty as charged. We do that. We don't just do it in these small ways to one another. We, we are glory thieves at heart. And we are stealing glory all the time from the only one who is worthy, as we just saying, of all glory and all honor and all praise and all strength. Because he created all things and by his will all things exist and were created. We are glory thieves. We want the glory. We take the credit. We don't want to give God the glory that is due his name. We want to take the glory that is due God's name and claim it for ourselves that we have no business claiming it. This is who we are. This is, this is what it means to be a sinner. You are a glory thief. Steal in the glory from the one who deserves all glory. We are glory thieves. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are turning the page literally to chapter 6 now, and, and beginning a, a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now chapter 5, if, if we just look back at this chapter that we spent a lot of time in, one theme really rises to the top of chapter 5, and that's, that's the call to righteousness. Chapter 5 is a call to a righteous life. It's a call to pursue righteousness. It begins with the Beatitudes, where we, we, we come to the Lord having no righteousness, poor in spirit, but then God transforms us, and he makes us righteous. And by the end of the Beatitudes, you're actually being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, so, so God's making us righteous, and then, and then he calls us to, to be salt and to be light and to let our good deeds shine before the world, to let our righteousness shine before the world so that they could see the glory of God and, and glorify him as they see his work in our lives. And then Jesus, from there, he went on to say um, that, that we're called to a true, greater righteousness than what the scribes and the Pharisees had. And he talks about how we should apply the Old Testament in, in these deeper ways than they were being taught and applied at the time. And he applies it to anger and murder and to lust and adultery, to marriage and divorce, to retaliation, to love. And we've been going through, and ultimately it ends with this call to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. He is perfectly righteous, and Christ has called us to pursue his righteousness. So chapter 5 is all about. Now chapter 6 begins with a warning to those who are hearing that call. Chapter 5 is a call to righteousness, a call to pursue righteousness. Chapter 6 begins with a warning to us as we pursue righteousness. Our passage is this morning. We're, we're going to read verses 1 to 6, and then we are going to also read 16 through 18. Right in the middle is the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to look at next week, but you'll see why we're separating it out this way. So Matthew 6, 1 through 6, and then we'll also read 16 through 18. Listen to these words. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the corners that they may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then jump down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In this passage, we see one warning, three examples, and two rewards. That's our outline this morning. One warning, three examples, and two rewards. Let's look at the warning. One warning. Verse one, beware. Beware. What does that mean? To beware means be wary of something, right? It means to be wary of, to, to watch out, to be on guard. We're going we're to go to the beach in a few weeks. Maybe some of you are going to the beach this summer, and if we go there and there's a red flag up, that flag is saying beware of getting in the water lest you reenact Jaws for the 21st century, right? Beware, like danger ahead. That's what it's saying. There's danger ahead. So Jesus is saying here. Now, now what, what's the danger? What are we to beware of? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Let's think about what Jesus is warning of. Danger, practicing your righteousness, is it say, beware of practicing your righteousness? No, no, he's not, he's not saying don't be righteous, don't practice righteousness, don't try to be righteous. That's, that's not the danger. It's the possibility that other people might see your righteousness. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Is that the danger, that someone might see me being righteous? No, that's not the danger. In Matthew 5, we already talked about it, he actually calls us to let our good deeds shine before others. It's the same exact construction in, in the two verses. He's, he, we should let our righteous deeds shine before others so that they can give glory to our Father in heaven. So that's not the danger in itself, is that others might see it. What's the danger? Look, it's captured in the last phrase. Practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. In order to be seen by them. That's the danger that Jesus is warning us of. And notice, that's not, that's not a danger that's external, is it? That's not a danger about what we might do. That's a danger relating to why we would do it. Jesus is getting at the motives of our hearts here. He's calling us to beware of the motives in our own hearts as we pursue righteousness. As we respond to that call, as we, as we seek to have that greater righteousness, he's saying, listen, here's something that can happen in your heart, is that you can begin to do those things because you want others to see you. And you want others to to approve of you, and you want to accept you, and you want others to praise you because you're a glory thief. Because you're a glory thief. He's calling us to beware of our own hearts as we pursue righteousness. Here's the fundamental question of the passage this morning. This is the question to ask yourself this morning. Are your righteous deeds for your glory or God's glory? Are your righteous deeds for your glory or for God's glory? Jesus is calling us to beware of doing righteous deeds in order to be seen and noticed and approved and accepted and praised by others. That, that's, that's what the red flag is saying. Saying, your heart wants to distort this and make it about you. Beware. Now, what's so dangerous about that? I mean, 
if we're at the beach and the red flag is out, you know what we're going to have to do with our kids when they see the red flag? They want to get in the water. And they say, why? Like, why can't we go in? And we're going to tell them because there are man-eating sharks in the water, right? What's, what's, what's so dangerous about practicing righteousness in order to be seen by others? Why is that a dangerous thing? Think about that. Why is that, why is that so bad? Why is that dangerous? Well, here's what he says. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. A life of righteous deeds in order to be seen by others is so dangerous because it disqualifies you from the Father's reward. That's why it's dangerous, because it disqualifies you from receiving the reward that the Father is going to give you. What does that mean? We're talking about rewards. What are we talking about when we say reward? Does that mean that we will go to heaven but will not be rewarded as much? Like we're, 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 We'll be there, but, but maybe not have as much as someone else? Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. In the Sermon on the Mount, heaven is the reward. In the Sermon on the Mount, the, the kingdom of God is the reward. If you look back at chapter 5, at the Beatitudes, they begin and end with the kingdom of heaven. Everything inside of those is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So, so the reward is heaven itself, is eternal life in the kingdom of God. Now to be clear, this reward is not something we could ever earn on our own. We cannot earn this reward on our own. The reward of heaven will be given to the poor in spirit. It will be given to those who mourn. It will be given to those who confess their sins and trust in Jesus as their sacrificial substitute. Trust that he died on the cross to atone for our sins, to make payment for our sins. He rose again and we are forgiven in him alone. The reward is given to those people. And so it's not something we can earn, but listen, it is something that we can disqualify ourselves from receiving by the way we live our lives. It is something we can disqualify ourselves from receiving. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that doing righteous deeds for your own glory disqualifies you from the reward of eternal life. That's the warning. Doing righteous deeds for your own glory disqualifies you from the reward of life in the kingdom of God. Let me just, let's think about this for a second. Who knows Mr. Rogers? Probably a lot of us know Mr. Rogers is, right? Mr. Rogers was awesome. This guy lived an incredible life. I don't know if you've seen either of the movies. It was just an incredible life. He, he was marked by constant kindness, disciplined prayer, good listening, faithfulness to his family, acts of service to others that, that, that were just unbelievable. I mean, Mr. Rogers was good. Right? Like, like he, he's in some ways, the essence of moral goodness that we might point to in our day and age. Now, I don't know Mr. Rogers' heart, and we don't need to know this morning. I'm not saying anything about his own heart, but here's the point that I want to make. If Mr. Rogers lived the life he lived in order to be seen and praised by others, then Mr. Rogers will not be in the kingdom of God. If Mr. Rogers lived the life he lived in order to be praised, in order to receive glory for himself, in order for the adulation that came to him, then he will not be in the kingdom of God. He has no reward from his Father in heaven. The best life, the very best life, lived for the wrong reasons, earns nothing with God the Father. The outcome of this kind of life is the same as the outcome of a life lived in outright moral rebellion. 
I mean, listen, that's just kind of a radical thought when you think about it. Like, a life lived in moral rebellion and a life lived doing righteous deeds for your own glory, same outcome. Both will miss out on the kingdom of God. Both will experience the condemnation of God in hell under the wrath of God. How is that right? How, how is that right? How can this be? How can God punish people who live righteous lives by sending them to hell, even if their motives weren't right? Well, here's how. Because from God's perspective, their lives were not righteous at all. From God's perspective, there, there is no righteousness there. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us how God views this kind of life. Righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, like a filthy rag, and we are swept away by our sins. Those righteous deeds are sins. Those, those acts, those acts of goodness, those acts of morality, those acts of righteousness are sin to God when they are done with the heart of a glory thief, when they are done with a heart that wants the glory for yourself. It's treason in the eyes of God. See, God doesn't measure righteousness by external acts. God measures righteousness by love for him, by desire for his glory. Righteousness is defined by our heart's desire for the glory of God in what we are doing. A righteous act in the eyes of others, if done with a heart that wants glory from others, is treason in the eyes of God. And if we live that way, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We will not be rewarded. And before moving into the rest of the passage today, I want us to consider this. Why does Jesus give us this warning? He's talking to his disciples. Why does he say this to us? Why does he give us this warning? And here's why. Because this is a real and present danger to you. This is a real and present danger to you. Jesus knows that we are glory thieves by nature. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the proneness of our hearts to begin craving the worship of others instead of giving true worship to God. He knows how quickly we can move from wanting to glorify God to all of a sudden in our hearts we are, we are enjoying and craving and, and, and embracing the worship that we are receiving from others, the glory we receive from others. Jesus knows this is a real and present danger to us. And Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. He calls us to beware because the danger is real and because he wants us to run away from that danger. It's the same reason that we tell our kids to be careful when we're about to cross the street. There's a real danger there, but you know what? We love our kids. We love our kids and we don't want them to get hurt. In church, Jesus loves you and therefore he warns you this morning, beware of practicing your righteousness as a glory thief. Beware of doing righteous deeds so that you can be seen by others because there's danger ahead on that path. You will not receive eternal life on that path. You will not receive the reward of the kingdom of God on that path. And in love, Jesus calls us to see our hearts this morning and to hear this warning. The warning is to beware of the motives of our hearts as we pursue righteousness. Now, what Jesus does next is he gives three examples in this passage to help us grasp what he's talking about. Three different examples uh, that, that contrast the, the kind of righteousness that he's warning us about and the kind of righteousness that he, he calls us to. The three examples are giving to the needy, 
prayer and fasting. And these, these were really the three pillars of Jewish religion at the time, given to the needy prayer and fasting. And what Jesus does is in each example, he tells us, here's what the hypocrites do. And I, I love this because he was calling them the scribes and the Pharisees, and now he just, the hypocrites. They're hypocrites. What was a hypocrite? Hypocrite, that, that word comes from someone who's, who's an actor and who's putting on a mask. They're putting up a front. They're, they're not who they say they are. And that's what they're doing. He's saying, here's what the hypocrites do. Here's, here's what the ones that say they're worshiping me do. Here's what you should be doing. That's the contrast he gives in these three areas. And so let's first look at giving. It says in verse 2, what, the, what do the hypocrites do in verse 2? When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So here's what the hypocrites do. We're not, we're not sure if they literally sounded a trumpet. There's, there's, there's not clarity on exactly what Jesus is referencing here. It's possible that they had uh, a coffer of sorts, a, a, a brass coffer that was trumpet-shaped to, to put their coins into. And what they would do is they'd throw their coins in, right? And, 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 and it would claim and be loud and noticeable. I mean, just imagine, you guys know in Walmart, they have that coin star machine. Isn't that what I'm talking about? It's like, we just put a coin star machine right there. And every week you just brought your coin, you're shaking it out, you know. Like if you're really giving, you're shaking your coins. Everyone's hearing the coming through. That's, that's what they're doing. They, they, are, they are wanting people to see what they're giving, how much they're giving. They're making sure that people are noticing they're giving. Why? So that they can be praised by others. They want people to say, look at that person's generosity. Look at that person's sacrifice. Look at that person's giving. That's amazing. What a great person that is. Here's what the disciples should do. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Okay, so my hands don't have brains, right? Like, my, my, my hand doesn't know anything at all. So, of course, it's not going to know what my right hand is doing. But what's the point of this, of this metaphor Jesus gives is, is be so discreet with your giving that, that if your hand did know something, it wouldn't know what the other one's doing. Be, be that discreet. Be, be, be that guarded about your giving. Don't, you, you, the point is, is to do it in secret. The point is to not publicize your giving but to do it in a way that no one notices. So that no one, no one sees what's going on as you give. That's what Jesus is calling the disciples to do. But there is one person who sees. Right? He says, your father who sees in secret. He says, your father will see it. God sees everything. And God sees what's happening. So give in a way that only he can see and no one else. The second example is prayer. Look at verse 5. What do the hypocrites do? When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray on the street corners that they may be seen by others. The hypocrites love to pray publicly. They took every opportunity they could to pray in view of other people. If there's a prayer meeting, they are, they are right up to bat, praying first in long and loud prayers for everyone to hear. Listen, I believe if they had social media accounts that they would take prayer selfies, you know, and they'd hashtag those selfies prayer warrior or something like that. 
and see how many likes they could get on their prayers. Like, this is, this is who they were. They wanted people to see that I'm a good prayer, and I pray a lot, and I'm, I, 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 I pray. And then they're like, man, that guy prays all the time. Listen to that guy. Watch that guy. That, that, that's, that's what they were wanting. What the disciples should do. But when you pray, look at verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus calls his disciples to find a secret place to pray. To pray somewhere where nobody else knows you're praying. So we get the idea of a prayer closet, right? To pray out of view of others. And again, notice who, who is it in view of. Your father is in secret. Your father's there. He sees what's going on. You're praying within earshot of the father. That's the point. It's for him alone. And then fasting in verse 16, what do the hypocrites do? When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So the hypocrites fasted and they made their fasting known. It's possible that, uh, similar to like what you see on Ash Wednesday, that they, they put ash on their foreheads so that people could see they're in a time of fasting. Like today, uh, this would be like me coming up to you. If I'm fasting, I come up to you and ask me how my day is, and I say, I'm so hungry. I'm really hungry, man. And you're like, why, why are you hungry? Oh, I'm fasting. Yeah, I'm fasting. It's been tough. You know, and, <laughs> and like, just it's like, when, well, well, way to go, fasting. Thanks, pray for me. I'm so hungry. You know, like, that's what you're doing. That's, that, that's, that's, the, that's the ethos. What they were doing is they, they want people to notice and see, and man, that guy hasn't eaten in a week. That's amazing. And so Jesus says, don't be like that. What should you do? When you fast, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. Saying, wipe the ash off your face. Don't act any different. Put some makeup on. Don't give any indications to others that you're fasting. And again, though no one else sees who does see, your Father who is in secret, he sees he knows how hungry you are. Your fasting is for him alone. I want to ask, is Jesus commanding us in these examples that we must always give in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret? And we've got a giving box back there. So, so when you come to church, do you need to like, like look around, like, you know, slip it in there, no one sees? Like, is that what he's saying? Adam's going to come pray later? Like, like is, that, is that okay for him to get up in front of us and pray? Bill, if it's not, you're, I mean, it's too late. Like, you did it earlier. Do you need to slip your food to the dog at dinner? No one's looking, so no one knows you're fasting. No, no. The New Testament is filled with public giving, public prayers, public fasting. I mean, you get a whole church fasting together, not keeping it a secret, right? You've got people bringing their gifts to the apostles and laying it at their feet. That's Sounds pretty public to me. you got people standing up and praying all the time. So Jesus' point is not that these things have to be in secret at all. No, his point is this. Here's, here's what he's doing. Secrecy, if these things are happening in secrecy, then it's a litmus test for your motives. It shows you your motives. I mean, sometimes it's hard to discern, isn't it? Hard to discern, like, what, why am I doing this? Our hearts are, are so tangled with sin. And, and, and so what do you do when no one else knows what you're doing? I think it was um, Robert Murray McShane who said that what you, are, what you are before God 
that you are, nothing more. Who you are before God, that's who you are, nothing more. So who are you before God? Do you give when no one, do you pray when no one else is watching? Do you fast when only God sees your fast? And if not, if there's no secret component to your walk with the Lord, listen, if, there, if there's no secret component to your walk with the Lord, never a time, it's just you and God, and no one else knows except God. If that's not happening in your life, then, then do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you want his glory? It's likely that you're doing all these things, that your whole Christianity is about receiving glory from men rather than giving glory to God. Are your righteous deeds expressions of your heart's worship to God, or are they opportunities to receive worship from men? Let me give you a few more examples to consider. If you have the opportunity to to preach, like I'm preaching now, or to teach, or to lead publicly, now you can't do those things in secret, right? So, so, so those things, you're leading, do you do this to glorify God or to receive glory from men? What is your motive in those opportunities? When you serve, say you're on the music team or the missions team or in the nursery or a serving at a serve day, like why are you there? Why are you there? Why are you doing those things? Are you wanting to please God? Is that what's driving your heart? Are you wanting to be praised by others and seen by others just think about attendance when you come to church or home. Like this morning, why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here to worship God and to praise God and give glory to God? Are you here because other people are here and they see that you're here and this is about cultivating your reputation with them? Home groups, disciples groups, why are you part of those things? Is it, is it centered on pursuing the Lord? Discuss theology with other people. Are you seeking to honor God in those conversations? Or are you showing off what you know so that they can think you are this theological all-star? And listen, we live in the age of social media. I mean, I mean how exasperated is this now? We have these, these, these things that are all about showing people ourselves all the time. So when you post on social media, what are you doing? Are you, are you exalting God? Are you, are, you trying to, are you trying to point people to Him truly? Or are you... Are you trying to get praise from others? Are you, are, you, are you carefully crafting your social media image so that others see you and praise you and think highly of you and you're just extracting as many likes as you can? Are your righteous deeds expressions of your heart's worship to God or are they opportunities to receive worship from men? Now based on how you answer these questions, you need to know that there are two possible rewards that Jesus talks about. In every section, he, he ends both of these examples the same way. So here's the reward of the hypocrites. He says in verse 2, he says in verse 5, he says in verse 16, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The reward of living for the praise of man is the praise of man and nothing more. Jesus says, that's what you get. You want to live for the glory of, that comes from men? That, that, that will be your reward. And listen, you can live that way. You can live for the respect of others. You can live for a wonderful reputation in the community. You can live for a legacy here on earth. And whatever you get, that's all you will get. That's it. It's done. 
And then the stark reality is this. You will die, and no matter how great of a life you lived, you will be forgotten, even by your own family, within a few generations. And not only that, not only will you be forgotten here, but you will live on, and you will live on under the wrath of God forever and ever. This is the reward of those who live as glory thieves in this life. You get what you can get now, and that's all you get, and it's eternal suffering forever and ever, and no one here is going to remember you anyways. I mean, that, that's, that's the reward. That's it. Why do it? Now here's the other reward. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 18, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We talked about this already. The reward of those who live for the glory is entirely better. Glory of God is entirely better than the reward of those who live for themselves. Now, you might not receive acclaim from others in this life, but even now, you will, listen, you will know the pleasure and joy of fellowship with God in the secret. If you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a communion with God in the secret. That is what, it's what David says, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. Even here and now, that's the reward, here and now. And then when you die, and when you stand before the Lord, though your life here might be forgotten, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Joy now, joy forever. That's the reward of those who live for the glory of God. And I pray this morning that you see how that is. And I pray this morning that you will be saying to yourself, that's what I want. I want that reward from the Father. I don't want these temporary, cheap rewards in this life that just lead to suffering. I want the reward of communion with God. I want the reward of life in the kingdom of God forever and ever. And if that's what you were saying to yourself this morning, I want to close with four applications for you. Four applications. Admit, pray, look, and respond. Admit, pray, look, and respond. First, admit. Admit to God that you are a glory thief. Like, do that today. Admit to God, I'm a glory thief. I'm a sinner. I, I love taking the glory that belongs to you and trying to get as much as I can for myself. In my sin, that's who I am. Admit that to God. Confess that to God. Just, just be brutally honest before the Lord and tell him who you are because he's already told us who we are in the scriptures. Agree with him and confess that you are a glory thief. Then pray. And what I want to instruct you to pray specifically is the prayer that comes right in the middle of this passage. We're going to look at it next week. But pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why is that verse right in the middle of all this? Think about it. That prayer, hallowed be your name, that is, you're asking God, we're asking God, make your name to be treasured and glorified and revered. We're praying, change me from a glory thief to a glory giver. Change me from someone who robs the glory from you to someone who gives the glory to you. Hallow your name and do it in me first. Pray that way. Ask God to change you. Admit who you are and then ask him to change you and to change your heart to be someone who loves his glory. Pray that prayer. Admit, pray, then third, look. 
Look, you pray that prayer, you ask God to change you, and then what do you do? You look to the cross. You look to Jesus where your sins are forgiven, where, where the Son of God loves you and gives himself for you and pays for your sins and then rises again. And, and there, you know what? You're seeing in that moment, you're seeing the glory of God. You're seeing grace. You're seeing righteousness. You're seeing love. You're seeing justice. You're seeing goodness. You're seeing holiness. You're seeing it all at once in the most climactic possible way so that even when we're in heaven, we're not going to move on from the cross. We're going to praise the Lamb who was slain forever and ever. The glory of God. And so look to the cross. Keep your eyes there. And what God's going to do in that moment is going to answer your prayer. He's going to change you from being a glory thief to a glory giver. He's going to sanctify you until you can respond, respond in repentance and faith and in worship to this God who loved you and gave himself for you. And you respond by giving him all the glory in your life. And you respond by pursuing righteousness, knowing the danger of your own heart, but, but knowing that God has called you to let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Not give glory to you. Give glory to your Father in heaven. That's your heart's desire. You're saying, I, I want to be righteous and be holy and pursue this because I want God to be glorified. That is the heartbeat in my heart. That is, that is what I am desiring because God has shown me his glory and it is so much better than anything else. So admit your glory thief. Pray, hallowed be your name. Look to the cross and respond by giving him all the glory in your life. And do that every day. Because every, every morning we wake up, you know, that, that glory thief just wakes up with us. We need to put it to death every day. Get in the secret with the Father. Pray to him. Read his word. Worship him in that moment. And let him move us by his spirit to the cross and to a life of giving glory to him. Let me pray for us, church, then we will sing a few more songs together.